Thank you for joining us for the study of God's Word today. Grab a Bible and listen carefully as God will be speaking to us through His Word today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Me in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs, if you have a Bible in hand, is right in the middle of your Bible, if you have both Testaments in your Bible. And we're going to be looking at the third chapter, verses 1 through 10 today, which will serve as the text for the message. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible and ask you to follow along in whatever version you have with you. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce so your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. This will, as I mentioned, be the focal point of the message. We're going to zero in particularly on verses 5 and 6. Oh, great debt to Jane Walters and to Alice Rogers. These women, as far as I know, are no longer alive on this earth. They were my guidance counselors in high school. They worked very hard to encourage me to go to college. There was no doubt in my mind when I went to high school that I was aiming for college, but they did not let me forget the importance of going to college. Beyond that, they worked hard to find the right university for me to attend. Quite frankly, they wanted me to go away from home and they touted the Ivy League schools particularly, which had no appeal to me at all because none of those had football teams who played on Saturday as far as I could tell. Well, these women worked to see that I got a full ride education at my hometown school, Memphis State University. I didn't really understand the value of that. I never had to pay any tuition, buy any books. I had money left over for other things. I didn't really understand the value of that when my two children got ready to go to school and neither of them earned a scholarship. What a bummer. <laughs> but what we know is from this passage of Scripture and elsewhere in the Bible that you and I have the capacity to have the greatest guidance counselor 
in the universe with our direction in life. That's what this text talks about. When it says, we are to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding in all our ways, acknowledge him and he will make our paths straight. Jesus put it like this in talking about the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, what does that have to do with the Lord? Well, it has everything to do with the Lord. The reason I'm saying that is because in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, the Bible says the Lord is the Spirit. Or flip it, the Spirit is the Lord. We know that Jesus is the God-man, fully God, fully man. There's no debate over whether God is in fact God. He is the Lord. But what about the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is the Lord too. He's just like Christ is what Jesus himself says. So we who know Christ have a decided advantage over the rest of the human population. Not because there's anything inherently better in us, absolutely not. What is in us, however, by inheritance through Christ is the Holy Spirit of God. He is the great counselor. It is the Lord that gives us the direction and the ability to live the life that God intended for mankind to live in the first creation and through the second creation. Therefore, if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. And he lives in us. What a wonderful truth. It's not something just for our heads to understand. It's the key which unlocks the door to real life. In a life that counts because it follows the guidance of the Lord who is the Spirit, the Lord who is the Christ, and the Lord who is the Father. Before we delve in deeply into this passage of Scripture, I'd like to draw three words out of these two verses that we're concentrating on today. The first word is the word trust. This word trust is a word that's used elsewhere in the Old Testament. It's in the Hebrew language. And it does not simply mean to believe in. It does not only mean to rely upon. But actually, and I was surprised when I did my study on this particular word. It means to be careless. Not to be carefree, although there is an element of that embedded in the concept of trusting as it's reported here in the book of Proverbs. But we are to be careless. In other words, we have no cares in the world. That's part of it. But in addition to that, we are people who can live with reckless abandon because we have given our lives to the Lord. Our primary focus is to be on the Lord in a trusting relationship. He is trustworthy, utterly trustworthy. I was seeking for an illustration to help me think about this more precisely. And I found my way in my memory to my boyhood, probably a preschooler, 
I remember on several occasions when my family would be out at night, we would come home and from the time we left where we had been on our way home till I got to the driveway of my home, I fell asleep. And I remember more than one time how my father would scoop me up in his strong arms, place my head against his shoulder and take me to my bed and put me in bed. I had no care in the world. Why? My father was my protector. My father was my provider. My father loved me like no other man in the world loved me. I knew my security in my relationship to my father. With all due respect to my father, he didn't hold a candle to the father, the father of Jesus, our Lord. Nor did he hold a candle to Jesus, nor to the Holy Spirit. But in my immaturity as a child, he was the one I could trust. We, if we're going to be men and women who take the opportunity that is offered to us, if we trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding, in all our ways acknowledge him, he, the great counselor, the great guidance counselor is going to lead us. And he always leads us in a way that is profitable for the glory of God, but also beneficial to us. The next word is the word acknowledge. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In all your ways, acknowledge him. The word translated acknowledge for some reason is not translated at its basic meaning in the Hebrew language. It's the word which means no. And that word no has very little to do with intellectual understanding and everything to do with relational understanding. To be in a relationship of intimacy with the one true God. Can you believe it? That you because you're created in the image of God. And if you know Christ, you have been transformed into a new man or a new woman in Christ. And you have the ability to have that kind of intimate relationship with God. Jesus talks about eternal life in this way. He says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Jesus speaking to the Father. Knowing God is the key that unlocks the door to this world of perfect guidance for us, the assurance of guidance. The final word I want to look at before we look at other parts of this text is the word heart. As people who are Westerners, what we typically think of when we think of heart is what? We think of emotions, don't we? We think about emotions of love or anger or sadness. We think of all those kinds of things. That is part and parcel of this idea of heart, biblically, but it misses a lot of the meaning that the Hebrew word has as it relates to the heart. The word is a word which suggests all that makes up who I am on the inside. That which is invisible, but which is palpable. 
that which we know is part of who we are, and that is our heart. Two other aspects of the heart that are given to us in the Bible. One is that which has to do with our will. In the book of Daniel, you remember Daniel and his three friends, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? These are heroes of mine and have been since I was a boy. We learned a song when I was in the Awana age group. There was no Awana in that day. And it was simply titled, Dare to be a Daniel. And I was challenged at the story of Daniel. I wanted to be like Daniel in my way of thinking. And this is what Daniel said. Remember, Daniel and his three friends found themselves as exiles in Babylon. They, fortunately for them, found themselves in the court of Nebuchadnezzar, the emperor, not only of Babylon, but technically the whole world. He, he was the man. And as a result of their being privileged in this way, they were given the opportunity to learn at the highest level. They were people who had access to the best teaching in all of the Babylonian empire. They had access to the best foods, the best clothing. But when Daniel came to the point of deciding, was he going to eat the food that would be prepared for him that was at the king's table or not? The reason there was a debate for him is that he was a descendant of Abraham. He had been a person who had cut his teeth on the law of Moses. And he knew the dietary aspects of that law. There were certain things that were off limits for an observant Jew. And so the Bible says in Daniel 1.8 that Daniel made up his mind not to defile himself by eating at the table of King Nebuchadnezzar or drinking the wine of Nebuchadnezzar. The phrase made up his mind, literally, this is the way it says in the Hebrew, made up his heart is really what it said. And what that means is the heart also is the seat of our choosing it's the seat of our will in addition to the seat of our emotions. Remember when Jesus was telling his inner circle, the apostles of his imminent departure, that he was going to die on the cross, that their concept of the kingdom of God was going to be turned upside down. They still held forth hope that Christ would form his kingdom on earth, an earthly kingdom, in his first coming, and that was all shattered that night when he told them these words in response to their troubled hearts. He said, stop letting your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So we have two components of the heart, the will and the emotions. But there's yet another component. In Mark chapter 2, the story of Jesus healing a man who was what we would call a quadriplegic. This man could not get to where Jesus was teaching and healing in the seaside town of Capernaum. This man's friends 
made a way to get him in probably some sort of litter as they made it and they found out that Jesus was at home, his home, his home of ministry, his home of resting, and they brought this man. The crowd was so thick that he could not be taken in through the entryway. There were so many people ganging that part, but they, not to be denied, and their friend not to be denied the privilege of perhaps being healed, they made their way up on top of this house and they began to tear the roof apart and they let this man down through the roof. And Jesus, when he saw the man lying there before him, and the Bible says when he saw their faith, was it the faith of the man? We don't know if he had faith, but we know who did have faith, his friends. There were at least two, there could have been more. He saw their faith and then what Jesus said, astonish all present. He said, son, your sins are forgiven. There were some spies there. These spies were religious spies. They're the worst kind of spies, by the way. They come under pretense of seeking some insight, but really they were there to get the goods on Jesus so they could get him out of the picture because he was taking all the attention of the people away from them. And when they heard Jesus say to this man, son, your sins are forgiven, they began to say, that's blasphemy. This is grounds for stoning. He's calling himself God. They were at one and the same time astonished to hear him be so blunt in his description. On the other hand, they were probably just sort of wringing their hands and licking their chops that this was the opportunity they were hoping for. And then Jesus looks at them. He hadn't heard a word from them. They had not said it. They'd only thought it. And he said, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? They were thinking, weren't they, with their heart. The human heart is the vehicle of thinking, choosing, and feeling. A good formula for you and me when we come to decision-making is to begin with our minds Remembering that the Bible says, have this mind in you that was also in Christ Jesus. The Bible also says we have the mind of Christ. It doesn't mean we're as smart as Christ. Nobody can approximate his genius. There's not even a word. Genius doesn't even get it for Jesus. There's no IQ test that he could have been submitted to that he would not have blown the top off of. But we do have access to the way he thinks, don't we? Where is it found? In the Word of God. God has given us the words that are his words in the Bible. And that's where we can go to get the guidance we need. But then once we know what we're to do, there still is a decision to be made, isn't there? Whether I'm going to follow or I'm going to continue my own way well, we have to exercise our will in submission to him as our Lord. Perhaps you know the verse in the Bible 
where it says, set apart Christ as Lord in your heart. What does that mean? It means elevate Jesus Christ to the highest place in your life. It means to be willing to yield to him, not just part of who you are, but all of who you are and have him take control of your life. That's what's necessary for you and me to see this passage come to fulfillment in our lives. We trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding in all our ways we acknowledge him. We know him. We know the Lord in everything we think, everything we do. That's the goal. And we have this life to have that kind of relationship with him as we walk with him. Christ's lordship is seen in our lives when we submit ourselves in unreserved reliance upon him and him alone for guidance. In order to be sure that we are going in the direction God has designed for us, we must do things according to this passage that we're looking at, verses 5 and 6 in particular of Proverbs 3. Two simple statements. I'm going to mention both of them, and then we're going to look at each of them in some detail. The first is, trust in the Lord wholeheartedly in every situation in our lives if we want to have proper guidance in the life that God wants for us. The second one is much like it with the exception of one word. Trust in the Lord wholeheartedly in every season of our lives as well. Let's begin with the first in every situation in our lives. Where does that idea emerge in verses five and six? Look again at them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge or know him. The word ways is a word which simply means all your actions and all your attitudes. All my actions and all my attitudes. This word is used in the singular and the plural many times over in the book of Proverbs. And the book of Proverbs is a great place to go to get in touch with what God's design and desire for your life is in all your ways, attitudes and actions, in your behavior. Many of you have been born since 1999, but in July of 1999, the 16th to be precise, John F. Kennedy II and his wife, Carolyn, and her sister, Lauren Bassett, got into his single-engine plane and a night was approaching. They were going to fly from Essex County, New Jersey on a 200-mile flight up the coast and drop off sister and sister-in-law at Martha's Vineyard and then proceed up a little further to Cape Cod where they were going to attend the next day the wedding of RFK's, Robert Kennedy's, youngest child, Rory. And they were looking forward to the trip. As they were getting their flight plan together in the Essex County Airport, one of his instructors came in and inquired about his destination. And this is what he told about their plan. 
And then the man said, knowing that Kennedy had only 300 hours of flying experience and only one of those 300 hours was at night, and knowing that it was dangerous to fly at night with a person who had never had full instrument accreditation to his pool of credentials. He hadn't had that. So he said, why don't you let me go along with you and help you? Because you might get into trouble. And he said, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. They took off. They never made it to Martha's Vineyard. They were not far away. They were about eight miles off the coast near there. And they ran into trouble. The radar, when it was reviewed, had a picture of this flight. And those who evaluated it after the incident that resulted in the deaths of all three on the plane said that all of a sudden this plane began to make a sharp dive. And in a matter of 14 seconds, it covered over a thousand feet, which was fast for, in fact, dangerously fast for a plane of that size. And then it went off the radar. They couldn't see it anymore. When the search for the body began, the bodies, I should say, took three days, I believe, to find those bodies, two or three. And it was found, the plane with the passengers in it was found in the ocean itself, just a little over 100 feet below the sea level of the ocean. The bodies were taken, and of course, investigation was made by the authorities, the federal authorities, and especially with John F. Kennedy Jr. being one of those who died. And when the report came back, it was a simple report. Cause of accident and death, inexperienced pilot, and disorientation. It's what's called spatial disorientation that happens when people fly sometimes. It's a trick that the inner ear plays and you can't see the horizon in this particular situation. It was a hazy night. It was over the sea and it's hard to see the horizon when you're at sea anyway. It's not there. It's so far away. Kennedy was disoriented. He thought he was doing right. In the book of Proverbs, twice the Bible says, there is a way that seems right to man and the word way is the word that is the origin of this word ways. There is a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is the way of death, not life. Do you realize that there are many things that God says to us that don't make as much sense as the world says to us or we say to ourselves? But if there's a contradiction between what we think or what we're adopting from other people's thinking, then we are in danger. We're going to travel a path of death rather than a path of life. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. JFK Jr. leaned on his own understanding. And God will make your paths straight. Let's look at some examples of this in this passage of Scripture, going back to verse 1 of chapter 3. My son, I don't believe I've said this, but chapters 2 through 7 are introduced either by this 
greeting, my son or my sons, singular or plural. It's obviously a father, it could have been Solomon, who's giving this wisdom to a son or to all of his sons. He says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. This is the primary departure point for our being people who can really get ourselves in a position to get God's guidance. Don't forget his teaching. Let your heart keep my commandments. Now, why do you suppose he says, let your heart keep my commandments? Well, remember what the Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, the 17th chapter. The heart of man apart from Christ is desperately wicked and deceitful above all else. Who can understand it? Have you ever thought in your heart that you were supposed to do something, you went ahead and did it, and then you realized after you had done it, it was a terrible mistake? Anybody here like that? Even we who know Christ, our hearts still have the capacity in some circumstances to deceive us and accuse us. That's what is written in the book of 1 John chapter 3. Read about it. But he says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. How important is it for us in this process of understanding what God wants for us to keep his commandments? Extremely important. Jesus says this, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me shall be loved by my father and I will reveal myself to him. Revelation of Christ to us is directly linked to our obedience to Him. We have to trust Him. And when we trust Him, what is the outcome? We obey Him. And when we obey Him, what does He do? He makes our way clear. He actually governs our actions and our attitudes. It is actually His presence in us that makes this possible. We read from Ephesians 3 earlier, and in that chapter, it talks about Paul's prayer for the Ephesians, and it's a good prayer for us to pray for each other, that Christ will dwell in our hearts. Jesus, believe it or not, wants to take up residence in your heart. The Spirit in a person is designed to house the person of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. Isn't it amazing? We don't become God, but we become the dwelling place of God. In that same section in Ephesians chapter 3, it goes on to say that may God fill you up with all His fullness. When Christ dwells in us, who is dwelling in us? God is dwelling in us. And we have the one true God living in us. And it's from that vantage point that our Lord leads us when we trust in Him. We don't have to go looking outside. We look to the Lord who lives in us and we go to the Word of God and He, by His Spirit, guides us and He shows us the way. Let's look at verse 3. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. The word kindness is that beautiful Old Testament word 
describing the covenant love which God has for us. God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. That's that kind of love. That's the word that's used there in Jeremiah 31, 3, that's used here, kindness, loving kindness. It, it combines the mercy of God and the grace of God. It's awesome. And that's part of who we are when we receive Christ. Why? The fruit of the Spirit is love. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. And it's He who gives us the power for this. And the word truth probably would be more accurately translated faithful or faithfulness. Don't let kindness and faithfulness leave you. I recently heard about a policeman who was a follower of Christ. He was doing his duty early one morning. People were busy going to work in the community where he was working and he got behind a car and there was a woman in the car and then there was a woman in the car in front of that woman and they came to a stoplight. The light which they came to, I have one of these in my neighborhood. I have to, if I get at the light and I'm more than two cars from the light, I know I'm gonna have to sit through another light. You got one like that around you? And I mean, it's a race, a mad dash to get through there just to get through that light when it's green. Well, that woman who was second in line had come to just such an intersection. And this woman was in a hurry, as most people are that time of day, wanting to get to work, get a kid to school or something. And this woman was in a hurry. The woman in front of her stopped and sat in that place through two lights. And it, not, it was not because she was having her quiet time that she did it. She was looking at her phone. This woman in the second place was irate. And she rolled her window down and the policeman could not read her lips, but he knew it was not a blessing she was giving to the woman in front of her. And she was just railing at this lady after the first time. Then the second time she let the light change, she flipped this woman off. And so finally the light changed and they all three were able to rush through because the first one went through. The policeman put the light on, pulled the lady over who was in front of him, and she was puzzled. What have I done? What have I done? He didn't say anything. He said, lady, just get out of the car. He said, put your hands on the top of your car and spread your legs like this. And he, he patted her down. He said, ma'am, I need your driver's license. Now you may sit down. I'll be back in a moment. Don't leave. What he did, he took the license and he went back and he compared the driver's license information with the tag on the car to see if they matched up. And he went back to the lady and he said, ma'am, here's your license. You may go. And she said, what's going on here? Why did you stop me and frisk me like that? He said, ma'am, I'm new to this community. I've worked in the PD here in this municipality, but I'm new to your community and I'm a Christian and I'm looking for a good church home. And I had a, a little uplift when I came behind you before you got embattled in this argument with the lady in front of you. And I said, 
there's a fish insignia on the back of your car. I thought, wow, I'm going to follow this lady and talk to her. Maybe she can tell me where I can go to worship the Lord in this community. But then when I witnessed what I witnessed from you, I thought, maybe this is not the woman who owns the car. She has stolen the car because she's not acting like a believer would act. Well, that's an exaggerated story that could be told in my life, probably, because I have had wrong attitudes toward people who were impeding my progress. I don't have that problem when I'm impeding other people's progress. So we're not, we're not to let kindness and faithfulness leave us. It's like putting a necklace around your neck so it's close to you. And writing it, aha, uh-huh, writing it where? On the tablet of your heart, your mind, your will, which will, in fact, impact your emotions. Let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Well, that speaks for itself. We don't know it all. The older we get, the less we know we know, right? But there are some people who just have to have the last word. There's some people that you can't bring any subject up that they don't know more about than anybody else from their perspective, including yourself. But what are we to do? We are to humbly acknowledge that what we know is something which God has taught us, whether it's from scripture or from current events or whatever, and we're to be grateful and humble. That's what is to be true of us, for sure. We're to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's what fearing the Lord means. Being faced with evil. We looked at this last week from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It's inevitable we saw that we will be tempted. But when we are tempted, what does God promise to do? He will provide a way out so that we can stand up under it if we trust in Him. He gives us that kind of guidance. Now let's look at verse 9. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. This makes absolutely no sense from a human perspective. Why would I give away a portion of my income to someone I don't know, maybe an unworthy or non-trustworthy church? Why would I do that? It's like just throwing it down a hole. It's like you might as well light a match to it and let it burn up. Well, I understand that. But what I do know is that what follows is true. Look what it says. Honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. That's what he says. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So what I've observed in the life of people I know well, I'll just use my parents, for example. My parents' father was a laborer. He was a union man. He worked hard. He'd work from five o'clock till six o'clock at night, five, sometimes six days a week. 
He never complained that I recall hearing him once complain about having to work so hard. Never once. Well, they, by their example, showed me the benefit of doing what God says to give the way God says. And they didn't do it for the benefit. This is the irony, and this is probably what helps me a lot when I think about it. They did it because they love God and they wanted to obey God. They knew what Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So they love the Lord. And consequently, they planted this seed in my own heart and mind. My father, as I mentioned, was a truck driver. And I would go with him sometime or another to his workplace, the terminal, and I would observe his peers. I would listen to them interact and they talked differently than my dad did sometimes. There were some really fine men there, but sometimes they would say things that I'd never heard my daddy say for sure. I knew they were not permitted in my house to be said. But also I looked at them and I knew that these men had every opportunity my dad had. Every opportunity. But they didn't have as much to show for it as my father did. I thought, why? As I matured, I figured it out. It's because my dad and my mother together decided we're going to do what God says about what God puts at our disposal and puts in our stewardship for sure. Well, let's go back to verse two. For the length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. That is, if I'm obedient to the Lord, I'm going to live a fuller life. I will have less stress in my heart because I'll do what God says with regard even to the stress itself. I'll trust Him and I'll have a richer life, not financially. We're not about health and wealth here in, in this church, but what we do know is you can't ignore what the Bible says about certain things. And so let's go now <clears throat> to verse four. So you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. We're not looking for popularity either. We will get quite the contrary. We'll get persecution if we are men and women after the heart of God at times. But what we know is we have such a great community of believers and we can have the favor of God and that expresses itself at times with the favor that he gives us with one another. Verse eight talks about how we, if we fear the Lord, we'll have healing to our body, refreshment of our bones. This just goes another step further that we are free from a lot of psychosomatic illnesses because not only is our spirit right because of the presence of Christ in our lives, but our souls are right too. The word psycho comes from the word suke in the New Testament, which means soul. And then the body, soma is the word for body, psychosomatic. And when our hearts are right and we're trusting in the Lord and we leave the pressure on him where he belong, it belongs, cast your burden on me and I will sustain you, he says then this is what happens. Great benefits, wouldn't you agree? The Bible says in Psalm 139, if I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I 
take the wings of the day, dawn, if I dwell in its remotest part of the earth, even there your hand will lead me. So not only does the Lord love us, but he leads us and he gives that kind of care for us. Trust in the Lord wholeheartedly in every situation in your life. Now, more briefly, in every season of your life, let me make an application of this. He will make your paths straight. The word path means legs on a journey. Paths, legs on a journey. The Christian life is compared to a walk. It's a journey, a pilgrimage. So let's think about us. In this room, we have some people who are elderly. And I don't want to offend you, but since I am elderly, I don't have the problem I would have had 40 years ago with this. But let's say you're in the end of your life. There's a tendency for us when we get older to coast. It's just something about growing older that happens. Coast, I'm talking about spiritually. And we think, well, we're done. We've done our time. We've worked in the nursery. We work with children. We worked with youth when our kids were growing up. We're done. Well, you're never done as long as you're drawing breath. You understand? I can't think of anything worse than being relegated to the category of done. Think about Anna. Remember Anna? Her story's told in Luke 2 when Jesus' parents brought him for circumcision on the eighth day after his birth in keeping with the law of Moses. And this woman who had been widowed after seven years and now she was 84 years of age, she lived at the temple She was a prophetess. When she saw Jesus, she knew that he was the Messiah. And then she began to tell everybody who would listen to her, the Messiah has come, the Messiah has come. 84, what if she folded her tent and gone to live with her children and grandchildren? She would have missed it, right? But she was serving the Lord. What about midlife? Psalm 71 says this. This man is unnamed who gave that psalm. And this is what he says. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth and I still declare your wondrous deeds. Even when I'm old and gray, oh God, do not forsake me until I'll tell this story to my generation and all those generations to come. All your teachings, Lord, I want to do that. Now we know he was not old, nor was he young. He's talking about teaching the young. He says, I'm not old and gray now. I will be, but even when I am old and gray, don't quit on me, Lord. Please use me to impress coming generations. And then what about youth? It's a great time, isn't it? The story is told, a true story by a man named Donald Barnhouse about a young lady named Mary. Mary was a teenager She heard a knock on her door one day. She lived in an affluent neighborhood in her city. When she opened it, there was a man nicely dressed. She immediately recognized him as the driver for her Sunday school teacher whose husband was more prominent than any other man in town in terms of his financial accomplishments. Christians, both of those people were. And so the man said, and he called the lady's name, he said, your Sunday school teacher sends this to you. And 
she, she was handed a box. She went inside, thanking the man, opened the box, excited to see what was in, and she was astonished when she opened it. The box was filled with wilted flowers. And she said, what? What's this all about? And then she reasoned, maybe my Sunday school teacher gave these flowers to bring to me to the driver and he forgot about it. And it's been several days and they've just wilted while they're in the box. That afternoon, as God would have it, this girl was downtown in her community and she bumped in to her Sunday school teacher. And when she saw her, she says, oh, thank you, calling her name. Thank you for these flowers. Thank you. Thank you for these flowers that you sent today, she said. And she says, oh, yes, about four days ago, I was in our garden. I saw these beautiful flowers. And I said, those remind me of Mary. So beautiful, so fresh, in the full blossom of life. So I cut them. I put them in my favorite vase. I took them into the bedroom and I enjoyed them along with my husband for several days until they began to wilt and the leaves began to turn brown. Then I boxed them up, gave them to my driver, sent them to your house today to give them to you. And she said, I don't understand. And her teacher said, a few nights ago, I went with my husband by invitation to the pharmacy to pick up some prescriptions. And it was dark that where we were parked and I rolled the window down. It was a little warm and I heard conversation. I recognized the voices. They were girls' voices, female voices. And I heard you say to a question as to whether you were going to be coming to the special time on the weekend, specially designed for young people to call them to deeper devotion to Christ. And you said, someday I'm going to surrender my life to Christ, but not now. And as I looked at those flowers as they wilted, the, the lady said, I thought, that's just like Mary. So full of life. So beautiful. So smart. So popular. And there she is saying to Christ, I'm going to wait until I've lived my life the way I want it, and then when I'm ready, I'm going to surrender my life to you. And you can imagine the impact that had on the girl. And so Mr. Barnhouse says, that girl made a commitment that was not a partial commitment, but she named the Lord, Lord of her life at that time. Youth, it's the best time of life to give your life to Christ. But let me be clear about this. If you're a middle-aged person, or you're an old person, or you don't know what category you're in. The Bible says today is the day of your salvation. And your salvation is turning away from ruling your own life and calling Jesus Christ Lord, not just Savior. Everyone wants a Savior. Nobody wants to go to hell, right? We want to be in heaven. And we know Jesus is the way to heaven. He's the only way by his own self-description. There is no other name under heaven whereby people can be saved. We read from Psalm 86 earlier, and David makes this statement. Save your servant who trusts in you. It's the same word. Save your servant who trusts in you.
In closing, I want to share a quick story. Set in 1859, a man named Charles Blundine, Frenchman, who was a tightrope walker, came to Niagara Falls. He had a 1,200-foot, two-inch hemp rope stretched to connect the two sides of the banks of the river, Niagara. And he was going to walk across those way off, over 100 feet above the waterline. And people were getting excited. His reputation preceded him. On June the 30th, 25,000 people showed up for the spectacular. And they watched him. And he went across, no problem. Came back across, no problem. Did some stunts going over and coming back. He said to them when he finished, on July the 4th, I'll be here again. Bring your friends. Tell everybody. Same thing happened. But he introduced some new tricks. He somersaulted and did backflips. I wouldn't even try that off a diving board. This guy did it successfully. Then he announced on July the 19th, I'm going to do this again. Millard Fillmore, who was the president of the United States at that time, heard about it. He had his presidential train take him. He was in the crowd. And this time, because knowing that the president was there, what he did, he went backwards across this. He only weighed 140 pounds. The balancing rod he took was almost 50 pounds and 26 feet from one end to the other. And then to top that, on the way back across, he took a wheelbarrow and rolled it all the way across without missing anything, and he was there. When he got over there, people were oohed and awed, of course, throughout the entire presentation, but none like this one when he went with the wheelbarrow. And he got there, and he said, how many of you believe that I could carry you across on that wheelbarrow? And many people said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he said, may I see a show of hands? Nobody took him up on it. <laughs> they believed in their head that he could do it, but they did not believe in their heart. Have you set apart Christ as Lord in your heart? Do you know him personally in the form of Jesus Christ? Why would you neglect making that commitment? I have, it just puzzles me that people would not want to give their lives to the one who made them and let him lead them and let him protect them and let him provide for them and let him help them become everything he intended them to be to begin with. Would you bow your head with me? If you have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is indeed the day of your salvation. Don't miss it. Would you say in the, your heart, exercising your will on the truths of what we've heard today and asking Jesus to forgive you of your sin and come to live in your life and give you eternal life that He might make your path straight and your life would be one that would be extraordinary for His glory and His honor. Would you just pray to the Lord that? Lord, take my life. I give it to you. And if you know the Lord, but you know you've 
deviated from the pathway that he has set for you. And you need to get back on track. We've learned recently if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. And he will purify us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you just say, Lord, I've, I've taken matters in my own hands. I'm off base, way off base. Lord, take me back. Please forgive me. He will do that. We thank you, Lord, for being with us today and letting us worship you to know you through Jesus. Holy Spirit, thank you for teaching us what we know we needed to hear. Amen. God bless you.